opportunities to prove to prove to yourself that you can in little intervals then you have like those build up and they build up quick and then all of a sudden you've got a really strong foundation to you know like we I took a group to the states to race um and and that was a you know outside of their comfort zone um but it was a step before going to Quebec to race at nationals for them um and they probably wouldn't have been as successful at nationals if we hadn't done that race in Maine so a lot of it is just providing it's a lot of it is crazy it's a lot of driving it's a lot of extra um but people become committed when they see that you're committed to facilitating that for them and when you can provide opportunities for people to be successful they have fun welcome to the new leaf running podcast i'm your host rick canning and that was sarah warford if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now then you know two things for sure. One is that I love tra- that I love running, and the other is that I love dogs. So I decided to go right to the source on all things dog and running for this conversation. Not only has Sarah competed for Canada at the World Championships for Canacross. She's the one largely responsible for the development of canicross and dog harness sports here in the Maritimes. She also coaches athletes of all abilities in in these sports, and many of which who have gone on to compete both nationally and internationally. So I think it's fair to say that when it comes to dogs and running, Sarah knows her stuff. It wasn't always this way, though. Sarah started out with a dog running business. And when I'm saying dog running here, I mean she would go out and instead of being a dog walker, she would take people's dogs for a run. But then something almost, I'm going to say magical happened. And I'm going to say magical because it truly is an opportunity that she just leaned into, which seemed to change the course of her life. You see, with this dog running business, people started to take notice that she's out there running all of these dogs. And they started asking her questions about how to get into Canacross and take their dogs for a run. At the time, she really didn't know what Canacross was, but she got super curious and really leaned into it in a big way. And this ultimately led her to founding her club, Dog Running. Now, the amazing thing here is that this wasn't the only time that Sarah leaned into an opportunity which dramatically changed the trajectory of her life. As she was coming up in the sport, an absolute legend in the dog running world, Muriel offered to take her under her wing and show her the ropes. This opportunity meant that Sarah had to just drop everything on a whim and hop on a plane to go all in on her training. She didn't hesitate for a moment, and this trip truly allowed her to see who she could be as an athlete. But I can't imagine that many other people in that situation would have done the same. 
Sarah's athletic achievements aside, you can hear the passion she has in her voice for the athletes that she coaches and just for dog sports in general. I truly enjoyed this opportunity to sit down and pick the brain of a true master of of dog sports and dog running. And even if running with dogs isn't your thing, Sarah drops so many knowledge bombs about what it takes to go after your dreams that you're going to want to take note. So without further ado, here's today's conversation. Hi, Sarah. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time on this lovely Easter weekend to sit down with me and talk all things dogs and running. I really appreciate it. So how are you doing? It's my pleasure. I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. It's a, um, we're coming out of a funny year, but um, it really feels like spring in a lot of ways. So I'm doing really well. Awesome. So I think I'm going to start things off just to give uh, listeners a little bit of of context, I guess, how you came across my radar with with dog running. Uh, Amanda, my wife and I, we've had dogs. We've had a dog pack. We used to have lots of dogs. Um, But we had three greyhounds and a wiener dog for the, the longest time. Amazing. Uh, The wiener dog was the best adventure buddy out of all of them if you would believe it. You know what? I do believe that. I do. (laughs) The Greyhounds were more of like the the princess, like sprint racer, like track star. Yeah. And uh, they, some of them enjoyed hiking, like, but they were not so much into being running buds or going for too rugged of an adventure. And I tell you, when when you're trying to get up a, a mountain, when you get to throw a greyhound on your back to get over some things, <laughs> you're you're wondering about your life choices. That wondering morning. about some life choices, but the the wiener dog was always fantastic. Like she was, like you wouldn't think it, but she like her little legs could carry her forever. Yeah. And if we ever ended up somewheres where like she didn't want to go or she got too tired, like she's backpack size. Yeah. <laughs> it's ideal. And unfortunately, like it wasn't until towards like the end end of her life where we figured out she actually liked being a backpack. I always used to just carry her. Yeah. And she she liked that too, but she actually really did enjoy being in a backpack. I wish I found that out earlier. I think they have like a good they kind of get a good view. Like I think oh, kids yeah. do, like they can kind of see the world. Like it's like, yeah, she was, she was up there. Like she was like, it almost felt like a pirate, like having like a parrot on yeah. my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> and funny, like I used to kind of like wonder why people would have dogs in, in backpacks, but then I totally got it. It's like, yeah. she's out there. She's enjoying the adventure. She likes hanging out with us and yeah, maybe yeah. she didn't want to go quite that far. So it's all good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but up until last year, I never really had like a, a training partner. Like yeah. I never had dogs that would join me for any of like my training, like mm-hmm. any of my workouts or go for these big long adventures. And unfortunately, like we know dogs are awesome, but they're only around for a short period of time. Yeah. And all of our big dog pack has since uh, passed away, which is really hard. But we uh, we use that opportunity to, I guess, we evaluated where we were with our life. And we mm-hmm. knew we wanted more of like a sport dog, yeah. one that would be able to be a little bit more rugged, go with me on training runs and just be up for anything. 
but yep. we really enjoyed the sight hounds. We think we really liked the temperament of the greyhounds. They were awesome, awesome pets. So we ended up with a whippet, and she fun. is amazing. So she fun. So much fun. Such a ball of energy, and she will go and go with me forever and amazing. just loves it. And um, when Amanda goes on adventures with me now, uh, we call Luna the uphill assist button. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. It's like having an escalator in your back pocket. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I guess Amanda is really looking forward to, she's all signed up now to yeah. join with the, the dog running club. And she's yeah. really excited to be able to train that with, with Luna. Because when Luna comes with me, she doesn't really pull that much yep. she just kind of runs runs with yep. me which is great for me um but we're excited to get her to pull we got the gear now we got the Amazing. harness awesome uh, so yeah so that's and they say i've just been interested in having a training partner for for quite some time like a partner in crime and i've honestly got to say it's way more awesome than i ever envisioned it to be yeah. like i knew it was going to be a lot of fun but just having this dog that literally, like, as soon as she sees me, like, head towards my running gear, like, she's beyond excited. Yeah. And, just, and, like, if I'm thinking about going with her, like, she without her, she makes it very difficult. <laughs> she's just yeah. there. It's like, you got to take me with you. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been having a ton of fun with her. She is got the, like, the endurance of an ultra runner. Like, she'll just go. And yeah. she loves it. Um, she's been up to about six and a half hours now on the trail. Wow, good for her. That's yeah, fun. that's it's pretty low key like pace. Like just Amanda yeah. out for an adventure. So yeah, like, just out really, enjoying the day. Exactly, and like say she loved it. She was pooped afterwards, yeah. but that's yeah. <laughs> tired puppy is a happy puppy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've just been having a a ton of fun with it, and. I thought, what better opportunity, um, given this new endeavor of mine of having a podcast, like, I'm just going to go straight to the source and <laughs> talk to the one that brought Ken across, really, and all this dog sport to the, the Maritimes. So I'm just feeling very fortunate that I have a platform now where I can just indulge in these little self-interest conversations <laughs> and get to meet awesome people, and they say yes and want to talk with me. <laughs> That's awesome. It is actually, it's, it's fun. It's, I, I have I got to say before we dive too far into dogs that it has been really neat to listen to the stories of other people where you see their names on race results and you see their names on registration lists and that sort of thing, but you don't necessarily know them. But yeah, it's been cool to have a hyper local uh, podcast out there about the people that you're lining up next to at a race. It, that's really neat. Yeah. And I don't like like there's so many like great stories I think like and I, I don't try and concentrate on just people that are super fast or people that are running far there, there's been a lot of those just because that's my my circle but I really want to talk to everybody I really do feel like every runner has a story to tell yeah and that we can learn something from everybody and I think there's value in that so and so far like I feel like it's been pretty well received at least from the feedback that I've gotten I always welcome lots of feedback I'd love to hear it but uh, yeah I've been I've been having a ton of fun with it so at least that part of it has been going well hey so there there you go there's at the very least you're having fun and we're having fun chatting with you so there we go <laughs> yeah 
let's say, like I say, I love, I just loved having the excuse to, it's like, hmm, I'm going to line this up because I'm really curious about what Sarah has to say about <laughs> running and dogs. <laughs> so I'm thinking a really good way to start this off just because we're really just meeting for the first time, like kind yeah. of face to face, but over the computer here, like say I have been following along on Instagram for a while, but kind of just want to get to know you to start sure. things off. Yeah. Um, so if you can tell me like how you got into running just to, just to start with, let's hear, let's start with that story. Sure. So um, I mean, I've played sports and been incredibly active my entire life and when I got probably into high school was probably around the time when uh, soccer coaches started saying things like you should be running on your days that you're off to keep in shape for, for playing. Um, and so I, I dabbled in running then, but um, nothing serious. It was just like to mostly to say that I did it so that I wasn't lying to my coach. <laughs> um, and then that kind of went away for a little while. And then when I was in university, I, um, started playing soccer again and that came up again within our team. And, um, and at that stage it was, we were all adult women playing together. And so we were um, not accountable to a coach. We were accountable to each other more than anything. And one of the girls on the team um, made a comment one day about everybody that we, you know, we could all improve our fitness and she is totally right. We all could. Um, and she offered that she was running and if anyone wanted to go with her, um, she would be open to that. Uh, and I was like new to the team and I was like, well, I kind of want to make friends and I, I want people on the team to like me. So I'm going to go with her. <laughs> I'm going to suffer through. Um, and it, uh, and really running with Tracy is, uh, what got me into really running consistently and a lot. And so she and I would meet up and um, my first uh, races that I did as an adult were all sort of under her pushing me to do it um, and encouraging me to do it. And um, yeah, things have snowballed from there. That was a really nice welcome mat to get into it. It's kind of fortunate you had somebody who was leading by example on the team, it didn't sound like there was a whole lot of pressure under it. It's like, hey, I'm going to be doing this thing. I feel as a team that everybody should be doing it. Yeah. But if you want to come join me, like, let's do it. Totally. Totally. And it was, uh, uh, it was she and I usually on the BLT trail just outside the city and, you know, slowly putting the miles in. We weren't, we weren't going very fast. She was pushing one of her kids in a stroller and I couldn't really keep up anyway. So, um, yeah, we just started logging, started logging miles. So what were some of your like first race experiences? Like you said, she kind of gave you the nudge to, to go and, oh. and do them. Like, were you competitive back then or were you like, a little nervous getting on the start line or what was that like? Both. Like I am an innately competitive person. Um, but I didn't really have a clue at the time about like what to do to prepare for a race or anything like that. So she, she was like, I'm going to do a half marathon. You should do it. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll do it. And I, the longest run I had done before was two weeks before the race. And I did 11 K and I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go do a half marathon next week. 
And so did Maritime Race Weekend, um, which isn't a particularly forgiving uh, yeah. race course. There's uh, some hills out there, yeah. If you haven't <laughs> really trained for it. Um, so that would have been a rookie mistake, I would say. But I got through, you know, like it wasn't a time that will uh, go down in history as breaking any records, but um, I made it to the finish line and it was all good. <laughs> That's amazing. And I think like nobody's first time doing anything like needs to have any pressure on it of getting any sort of time. I don't think. I think a lot of people, myself included, like if I could go back in time and tell myself that is like, you, you don't need to worry about time when you're lining up for your first half marathon. Wow. You just got to show up and do your best. And the thing that I talk to my, uh, my athletes that I coach about all the time, and I'm sure it's similar for you is that set, set goals that you can control. You can't, you have no control over anybody else in the race. Um, so like, if you go out there that you're just going to do something awesome with your dog, then you're, you're going to have, you're going to have an awesome race. Like if your goal is to go out and to do something really fun and really special that nobody else can do because nobody else is you to your dog and your dog isn't themselves to anyone else, you're going to do something awesome and the rest isn't going to matter. I 100% agree. And I'm going to use this opportunity to go down this rabbit hole a little bit right now, because I really enjoy having other coaches to talk to as well. And I've liked having this platform to, to do that. But that's something that I find a lot of athletes really struggle with, at least the ones that I've been working with. I find you almost need to do a little bit of brain surgery on them, and it takes a bit of convincing to focus less on that external I need to run under two hours for a half marathon to you like you said focusing on those variables that you can control and I get a lot like in the beginning I don't know how you feel about it but do you find you get a lot of resistance to that way of thinking like in the beginning when you're first starting to work with people like what do you mean like the time is the most important thing yeah and I think um and I guess the good, the bad, and the ugly kind of comes with social media where you get to see um, glimpses into um, some really inspirational people and teams um, in terms of what they're doing. Um, That also, I think, sets us up for a bit of failure because we can't see what's gone on behind a picture and a post. And so we we see often we just see the success. We don't see the 500 things that didn't work before the thing that made them successful worked. Um, And so sometimes we have to do a lot of reshaping in terms of framing, like, um, okay, what are we going to learn out of this experience? It doesn't matter what, like, regardless of the result, we're going to learn something and that's going to make us better. Um, And I think, we kind of get stuck in the weeds on some of the other stuff. I 100% agree with that. And also with social media too, and even just locally in your run groups, like you don't have to look far. There's always going to be someone that is doing more, that's running faster, that's that's just wondering like if like, 
there's always going to be somebody that you're going to be like, oh, I, I should be able to do that. Like if you look and it doesn't matter how good you are, like even like for the, I'm just going to say Usain Bolt is probably looking at somebody else like, man, this guy's on my heels. Like I got to yeah. do better. Right. Like that's, yeah. you don't have to look far. Like there's always going to be somebody, but worrying about that isn't the recipe for success because that is not helping you move in the direction of your goals. No, totally. And I think a lot in terms of it is realizing what's going to make you better. So one of the things that I don't know, either brilliantly or foolishly have done over the last few years is help um, teams that have a lot of potential get dogs that are designed for racing um, that really helps like pull out that potential out of them. Um, and what that's done is it's made the competition pool locally significantly stronger. Um, which at first was really hard because I was used to winning all the time. And then I didn't win and I, I didn't lose. Like I wasn't coming in last, but it used to be a given that Eddie and I would win everything. And then as I was helping people and helping them get dogs that were really good and these dogs were getting faster and these teams were getting faster. Um, I was also getting faster, but the margin wasn't there. And I started not to win, even though I was still faster. Um, and so having to go and realize that um, sometimes you're, you're just not supposed to win. Like sometimes you're not the person that's supposed to be at the top of the podium because you're the person that's supposed to facilitate making, getting to that podium really worth it and really hard work. So, you know, I joke that whenever I travel, I, I go when often, whenever I can, I go up to Quebec to race because the, the competition there is really, really good. And it's a really good measure for, how we're doing. And every time I've raced in Quebec, I've come sixth. I can't, I can't shake. I can't crack the top five. And it's just one of those things where it has no measure on how I actually am doing as an athlete and how Eddie and I are doing as a race team. It is a measure of just how the sport is developing and evolving. And you, you can't, you can't do anything about that. And it's a good thing. You know, it's, it's a good thing if more people are out there and it's a good thing if it's keeping us honest and, and it is more fun to be successful when you look at that race and go, I left everything out there. There is nothing left on the trail. I did everything I possibly could to get here. That was my best. That was our best. And you just realize that like, um, everyone else is doing the same and it's a, a lot of everyone else's. It's not just a couple people. And that's really fun. That is a really, well, I'm going to have poor choice of words here, but it's a really refined way or really well-developed way of, of looking at that. Like I imagine just cause I not the same, but I had a kind of a similar experience in my younger days when I was, a a competitive paddler. Yeah. I grew up um, paddling and I was really, really good at it. And I just won everything. It didn't matter what it was, singles, doubles, 
fours, the war canoe, everything I was in, just one. And then I got older and everyone else started catching up, right? It, I had to work at it. And then like by the time I got older, like I was still good. I was still in the mix. I was still like competing really well, except now the competition was a lot more. And it's kind of like you in your sixth place. Like I found it hard at like Canadian nationals to crack past the top 10. Like I always seemed to just miss out on making it into that final heat. And I wouldn't necessarily, like I, sometimes I would have a fast enough time to be in there, but I just was in the wrong heat. I didn't place well enough in my race, even though that I was fast enough. And like that was difficult to deal with sometimes. But on the other hand, at that point in time, I was starting to coach athletes and I was seeing them win races and get really excited about it, like coming up behind me. And that was amazing too. So I took a lot of of joy in that too. Um, But there's kind of two competing parts of you like going to war there like because you you want to like you're competitive like you want to do well but you're you're training the people that you're competing against which has got to be a little difficult too but you want them like for i'm sure you you probably take more pride in and them doing well than than your own results probably <laughs> yeah so i definitely do you know um uh one of my coaching partners uh, is the current national champion and she started underneath me and we work together now, but I trained her and, um, yeah, it has been such a pleasure and such an honor to have a front row seat at seeing her. She was a mediocre, uh, college runner and to see Sarah find where she's supposed to be running um and yeah like that's that's the coolest part of what I get to do all the time um and now I get to uh our dog running team our coaching team has expanded in the last little bit and so now I have instead of just Sarah who I chased down the trail now I have two other partners who I also am slower than on the trail so but we get better when we surround ourselves by people who are better than us. And when they bring different ideas and thoughts to the table and then you can, you can meld them all together and, and they are just incredibly gifted coaches, but also incredibly gifted athletes. And they make me a better coach and a better athlete because I get to listen to their perspective and then apply it and, we get to dialogue about these things as well. And so it's really cool. Sounds really amazing. And I don't know where I heard it, but it's shining through and what's going on there. It's like the the secret recipe for success is to have somebody that's a little higher of a level than you that you can learn a little bit from. Or you want to have somebody that's around the same level of you, like your peer. And then you want to have people that you can teach. And when you have all of those things and you bring them together, that's when you're going to progress more in the field that you want to do well in. And it sounds that's exactly what's set up there, which is pretty amazing. 
Um, so I want to come back around to your story for a little bit, um, and then we'll get back into the the dog running. But um, so you guys started um, by taking other people's dogs running. <laughs> tell me, tell me how that, like, how you got the idea to do that, and then. I'm really curious to how that evolved into you going to compete for Canada at the world level. <laughs> it's a pretty big gap there from, I'm just going to go take some neighbor's dogs for a run to doing that. So I'm really curious about that story. Because I sometimes leap before I look. So that's, that's sort of how it all started. Um, my husband uh, and I were, had, well, I had just finished grad school. My husband was still in grad school and I was working part-time and, um, we were super broke and I was super underemployed and needed to do something. And so had, we had our, um, the first dog that we got together, we had her. And so she needed to get out anyway. And I was like, well, why don't I just go on Kijiji and see who needs to have their dogs go for a walk. Like, and that's really how it started was like, okay, and now I need to differentiate myself. And so, well, I'm a runner. I'll run the dogs. I won't just walk them. And that's, that's how things started. Um, so how did that, so how was that for you? Like, was that a bit of chaos? Like, I, I know you work with a lot of dogs right now, but in the beginning, when you're going and grabbing a bunch of dogs and going for a run, like what was that experience like for you? There's definitely times when it was chaotic. Um, but I also am, I'm pretty meticulous about mitigating risk. Um, so I, I am pretty cautious. Like I will do, we'll do some crazy things and we'll have some amazing adventures, but I'm going to mitigate the risk along the way. Um, so I started with only taking one or like two or three dogs at a time. And it, I had been doing it for a couple of years before we, we took bigger groups of dogs. Um, and at the most that we took at a time with one person was six dogs, which to people who don't do that sounds like a lot. Um, but it's really, it's really not, not that much. Um, yeah, and so, just from my experience anyways, like back when we, we had like four dogs at one point and we would also foster greyhounds too at that point. Like we had a lot of dogs in that very small house, <laughs> but I find like in the beginning, there might've been a little chaos, but after you start moving like the pack just kind of falls in line and everybody's happy to be out for a walk. So. Yes. Yeah, totally. Um, dogs can get excited and want to chase something, but they don't want to get lost. Like that's not their end goal. Um, in a, in a, in an otherwise healthy environment, they don't want to get lost. So they, you know, they, they want to stick together and, you know, you pack treats and you work on recall and you, you know, long lines for if it's a dog's first time out and those sorts of things. So you can, you can do it in a measurable way. Yeah. So you taking these dogs out like on trails at this point, or you just going for runs around the neighborhood or what, how did that look? Yeah. So we did a lot of trail running. Um, we did some city running and we would do that with, um, with dogs that just couldn't go off with other dogs. So dogs that were reactive or that sort of thing. Um, 
but we really try not to do a ton of city running. Um, concrete and pavement um, are not great on the joints of dogs and dogs don't have a ton of time. Like their bodies progress significantly faster through those developmental stages um, than, than humans do, for example. You know, dogs get maybe 10, 12 years if we're lucky, whereas we get 80-ish, 90-ish if we're lucky. Um, so the, the pounding on the pavement can be hard on the joints and, and hard on the bodies of dogs. So we, we did some, um, but again, we were really cautious about how much we did and where we would take them and, and that sort of thing. So what were the comments like in the beginning getting back from the owners? I know it's probably not a, was a regular, probably not a regular thing that people were used to getting these dogs like well exercised for them. Um, so was there any comments like in behavioral changes from these dogs, like when they were? Yeah. So I, I would say there was definitely some, um, again, knowing like, there's a, there's a, a happy medium that you want to make sure that the dogs go home where they have had a really, um, kind of balanced experience. Like you don't want a dog that's so tired that they're like overtired because then they get the same problem that you have with toddlers where, <laughs> you know, nobody wants an overtired toddler around and no one wants an overtired dog around. You get the same, uh, sort of consequences a lot of the time. Um, and so when you get, but when you get the balance right of the right amount of sort of mental stimulation and uh, just physical release um, and their bodies have a chance to just sort of like let go of some of what goes on, um, then yeah, you have a really happy dog. <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess it, it took off because you you started doing it more. Um, how did it go from that type of business into transitioning? Like, how did you roll from that into Canacross? And maybe it might be worth a short explanation there too of what exactly is Canacross as well. Sure, sure. Uh, so Canacross is um, a harness dog sport or a sled dog sport. Um, a lot of people will be familiar with mushing and uh, Canacross is sort of an evolution of that. Um, in sled dog sports or harness dog sports, we have two seasons. We have snow and we have dry land. Um, and snow is obviously sleds. Um, and you can, people think of big races like the Iditarod or the Yukon Quest a lot of the time. And um, that's the image that I had at the beginning too. Uh, whereas like these long distance races. So there's distance racing where that would fit in. Then there's mid distance racing and then there's sprint racing. And then sprint racing, um, these are fast, short races um, and they're over, in, they're over in minutes. They're not over in days or weeks um, like the mid distance or the long distance are. Uh, so in sprint racing, you have all of the sleds sports, then you have, um, uh, ski, uh, ski joring. So one and two dog ski joring. Um, there's also a, a pulk class, which is, um, the dog is pulling a sled that's pulling a skier. Um, and then, uh, 
more recently, we've added um, can across on snow and fat bike shoring into sort of the um, the sports that people are participating in, the disciplines that people are participating in. And then you have dry land, and that would be rigs and scooters um, and bike shoring, which is mountain biking where a dog is helping to propel you down the trail. And of course, can across. Um, and I uh, can't imagine like mountain biking on its own is intense. I'm at going mountain biking, getting pulled by a dog. Like I saw a picture of that up on your website. I was like, man, that looks badass. <laughs> it's like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So um, the trails that you would have in a race would not be as technical as you would have um, if you're just going to go out mountain biking. So it's um, usually green, like green trails, I guess. If, if people are mountain biking, they'll be familiar with that um, is, is what you're looking at. A lot of double track as opposed to single track. Um, though there's sometimes that thrown in. Um, but it's cool that there's so many different disciplines that you can, that you can try and you can find one that sort of suits you. I know, again, we were just playing around with it, um, but I found out, yeah, you can take your dog cross-country skiing with you. And then same as with the trail running, just be out in front doing my thing. And now Amanda, like I, I can push myself a little bit harder because Luna is just happy to pull Amanda along. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's so yeah. awesome. And you can, um, yeah, you can adapt the sports to a lot of situations, um, which is really fun. And what ends up happening a lot of the time is people come to it either as a runner uh, who has a dog or as a mountain biker who has a dog. And then all of a sudden they find that they are, they're cross, they're cross training because they want to do multiple disciplines. Um, you know, so all of a sudden after a season of Canacross, they're like, I think I'm going to learn to skate ski this winter because I want to keep doing this all winter or now I'm going to buy a kick sled those sorts of things yeah. happen or, or the inverse, you know? And, and your dog that you've been training with on dry land is still looking to get out and expel that energy that you've trained them. You've got them all fit and used to doing that. So they're, they're still going to want to get outside. So yeah, finding that other activity that you can do with them over the winter has got to be really good for that too. And the winter is just like optimal conditions for the dogs too. So they do, just exceptionally well. They, they love it in the winter. Yeah. A lot of dogs probably struggle with the heat in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And so you'll see that races, uh, shut down entirely in July and August. And depending on, uh, where you are, I guess that would be said, depending on where you are in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, in Canada, they shut down entirely throughout the summer. Um, and in June, a race would start exceptionally early in the morning if it's going to happen. Um, just because you have to mitigate for temperature. For sure. At least if you're hiking and things and there's lots of rivers around, like you can like keep your dog wet, yeah. keep them cool. But yeah. even still, yeah, you got to start early and not be out <laughs> too much into midday for sure. Yeah. yeah. So canny hiking is just like, it's an amazing option for the summer because you're just, you're moving at a, at a pace where you just have, um, it's just a little bit safer for, for everybody involved. Um, but the dogs still get to get out and, and get to pull, which they love. They do love it. But you can even, I find like even going in the mornings, like the humidity and that you can just, you can just tell, like just don't have the same oomph and mm -hmm. like you don't want to force it, right? No, <laughs> no. no, you never want to force it. No, no. 
All right, so that's what Canacross is. So how did you get from running people's dogs and trying to make a little bit of extra money to getting yourself into the sport of, of Canacross? So we, um, there was an urban mushing group uh, at the time that was active in the city. And we took Pippi to a, uh, a learn to mush clinic there. And then, um, and at that time, like I was running other people's dogs and, and people were coming and going like, Hey, like, I love what you're doing, but there's nothing. I'd love to do something with you, but you don't have something for me. And people were starting to act like they were asking for a can across club essentially is what they were asking for. And it took a little bit of time for me to figure that out and to connect those dots. Um, but after we did that introduction clinic, uh, I started looking on social media and just figuring out like what was going on and where were people at and, and just. So were you going to competitions yourself in the no. beginning when people were asking? No. So people no. like people knew you were running other people's dogs and they yeah. were just asking like, how do they get out and do this with you? And you still weren't quite sure what the no, sport was. No, exactly. And okay. so I was sort of teaching myself at the time and kind of begging race directors um, who had races on trails that were, that were, dog friendly trails. So, um, like there was like races through Point Pleasant Park where I would just kind of like email the race director and be like, do you mind if I start at the back, if I can do this with my, I do this thing and can I do it from the very back and I'll, I'll be kind and like, I won't make a scene. And can I just do this? Um, and a few race directors were like totally cool to let me do that. And then, um, what I did after that was they like, okay, and next time, can I bring some friends? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's sort of how the Canagross race scene developed here. Um, it was just kind of uh, begging race directors to let us in at the very, very back um, in places where dogs were going to be anyway. Um, but I got, uh, through social media, I connected with people who were very active in the, the sport development scene uh, nationally. And... At that time, uh, there was nobody else. Um, while people were doing things here recreationally, nobody was connected to the national scene. And I just got myself <laughs> sort of into, into these conversations with people saying like, this is kind of what I'm doing and I don't really know if I'm doing it right, but I'm, I'm trying and can you help me out? And uh, one of the people who was involved on the uh, on the Canadian um, Association of Harness Dog Sports Board at the time uh, invited me to come up and spend some time with her. And so I just took a chance and I did it. And I went up and I trained with her for a week. And, and that sort of snowballed um, me going from being... Uh, sort of recreationally dabbling on the side to getting competitive and getting into the sport. But <laughs> the funny thing is, is that my experience going to worlds happened before that. And Oh really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and like, this is like the backwards way to do it and, and don't do these things. People like do as I say, and not as I have done, honestly, <laughs> um, they had, so we were, you know, training. And I, I had an idea of what I was doing, 
Um, like I wasn't a complete novice at this stage. Like I had um, mentors across Canada who were giving me feedback and, and helping me virtually long before virtual coaching was really a thing that people were doing. Um, and nationals was, or worlds, sorry, was in Canada in 2015. And basically because of that, uh, they just had space for basically anybody who wanted to go. And so I was opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Like why not? (laughs) Um, so I, I just, I did it and it was awful. Like, don't, don't do, don't go in over your head, take baby steps, set, set small goals and achieve them. (laughs) So what, so what about that experience made that not, not a whole lot of fun for you? So, okay. So that's not true. So the experience itself was amazing and, um, 10 out of 10, go take chances where you meet interesting people and you get to try a thing that you enjoy. Um, yeah, do, do that. Definitely do that. But don't, don't put yourself into a situation as an athlete where you are set up to not do well. So there's a couple things that were going on where there was like, it just wasn't going to have a successful experience. One was that we didn't have a developed race sitting here. So I was just sort of going out on my own. Um, and so you're just going in on like a completely different level, on a totally different level to everybody else. At the same time, um, with the business, I was running a half marathon four days a week, and that's not a healthy thing for anybody. And I would did that for, I did that for months and months and months and months. Um, so I went into this race on a body that just was ready to crumble, um, with a dog that had never been in a race environment that intense, um, or myself who had never been in a race environment that intense. And so we had a tangle on the trail. Another athlete's dog went underneath the line that Pippi and I had. And so we got locked, we got tangled and I fell and I just destroyed my hamstring. And so, so we had a DNF. Um, and it was one of those ones where it was like a perfect storm of what you shouldn't do. Yeah, like all, all of the different factors are just coming together at that time. Like you say, you, your, your hamstring got messed up just because your body was on the verge of breaking anyway. So that's yes. like the last straw there. Yes. And so don't overtrain people. <laughs> Do what your coach says and take your rest days. <laughs> take your rest days. Yeah. Fluctuate that they, training volume throughout they, the month too. They are of just, important. <laughs> yeah. Don't just run four half marathons every week forever. Um, you got to fluctuate a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and that's part of where things with dog running started to evolve, where physically I realized I can't sustain this forever. Like this is a business model that will cripple me. Um, like there's just, it's not possible. Um, and I realized at the same time that it's not what I really really loved what I loved was bringing people along in sport. And I, I love sport development. Um, that gets me really excited. I love the idea that sports, I just believe sports should be accessible. Um, 
to everybody everywhere. Like, I think we should just have options in all communities for people to participate in. Um, and that's the stuff that really excites me. Like, um, where some people get into sport because they really, uh, or find their place in sport because they really just, they love competing themselves. And I do, but I really, really love facilitating opportunities for other people. And that's the stuff that gets me really, really excited. I think that's pretty special too. Like when, when you're able to get in a position where you can facilitate those opportunities and you see them being seized and you're seeing them excel in, in those situations, it becomes really rewarding. But I think that it's also pretty cool. Like even I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, I think it's pretty cool that you were open enough that when somebody reached out to you, to kind of take you under their their wing. Like some people might say, oh, that sounds like kind of a cool opportunity, but I'm not so much into that. But you you kind of listened to that nudge and you were ready to kind of take that on and you were open to that. And that kind of helped you too, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I don't think I would adopt it, but that's an interesting point. Like, what if I had said no to Muriel? Like, what if I hadn't gotten on the plane that day and hadn't gone to visit well, like, and that's how the thing. I think the lot of people like might think that that sounded kind of cool, but to actually hop on the plane and and go there, then that, that might be kind of difficult. And I know she said that she didn't think that I was going to say yes, and the truth is, is that I didn't realize I was going to say yes. But it was kind of one of those like, well, why not? Like, yeah. why not? So you were, you say you had the courage to to hop on that plane where I think a lot of people in your shoes, like I said, probably would think that that sounded kind of cool, but wouldn't necessarily take that leap of faith to go and do that. So what was running through your head, like when you were asked, like, did you have any hesitation about it? Like you said, your friend, like when she made the offer, she wasn't thinking that you were going to say yes. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I hesitated at all. Like, I think it was just like, Hey Jordan, can we afford for me to just like book a couple flights last minute? Like, are you cool with that? And so I think that was the conversation that we had. And then it was, do I take a dog or do I leave the dogs here? And we elected to leave the docks here because um, my uh, Eddie, who is my current race partner, um, was too young of a puppy at the time for us to really run. Um, so it would have just been like for the amount of time we were there, not really worth it. And uh, so I got to run. Um, what was what was really cool about that experience was um, Muriel, my friend Muriel, who is just yeah, one of my best friends and an exceptional mentor to me, um, let me uh, use her dogs for the week that I was there. And she said that she was like, um, almost testing me for that entire time. I was like, okay, so what sort of an athlete is this woman? And what can we, what can we do with her? And where, where can we go? And that was sort of the beginning of me discovering um, just sort of like finding the potential within myself because she just put me through my paces in a way that nobody had before. Um, and, and with that, um, 
I didn't want to let this person down. And so in that, like force myself to not let myself down um, and to really just, yeah, find a new level of who I could be as an athlete. I think that's really cool. And it's kind of special. Like when you can develop that coach athlete relationship where you have that person that has that little bit more experience and they, they can see like before you can see like what, what you're capable of. And they know that if they just keep giving you these nudges in the right direction, like they just kind of see it unfold. Like maybe they're not entirely sure like where it's going to go, but they have a pretty good idea of what the potential might be. So I imagine now like her seeing like where you've gone in the sport, that's going to be pretty rewarding for your friend to have brought you over on that trip to kind of kickstart that, that whole thing off. Right. Yeah. And I, so, and I throw that right back at her because there is, you know, for everything that um, I have done for the sport, the little bit that I've done, um, it's not just me. So there's an entire sport system in Quebec where she's had her hand in it. And so this is like one of those linchpins of the sport nationally um, who saw something in me and invested in me, but she's done it at different stages for, for other athletes and other teams. Um, And she just, she is one of those people that, um, almost a generation of athlete before who really set the groundwork for the sport. So, um, you know, now it's sort of growing exponentially, but they did a lot of hard work sort of preparing uh, the sport to be at a place where it could take off. So was, so I got a couple of questions then I'm going to start with this one. So I don't forget about it. Um, It might be kind of a hard one to answer but what do you think it was that she saw in you originally that said I'm going to take a chance on this girl and I'm going to offer to have her come out here and I'm going to show her the ropes like what do you think it was that it might have been that I offered to bring rum from Nova Scotia (laughs) (laughs) she's got the good rum she gets a good story and I'm going to get a bottle of rum. Like it might've been that, (laughs) Um, you know, it's, you know, we didn't really know each other that well. So we could have cut ties and gone our separate ways and that could have been it. Um, But I think leading up to that, uh, I had been asked to join the national board before that. And so I had a lot of sort of experience in uh, sports administration and sports development in other sports. Um, And so some of that stuff is transferable in terms of the structure of uh, just division, like a national federation and then regional divisions and um, and local clubs. So those sorts of things are, are pretty transferable in terms of sports structure in Canada. Um, And so I has, I was brought on early, uh, as someone who would be interested in building the sport locally in Atlanta, Canada. Um, and I think she said early on, she didn't agree with that decision. Like she just thought I was too green. Um, and I probably was, <laughs> I probably was, uh, but I showed up enough, um, 
with the right amount of in, like with good input and good ideas um, and, and comments and, and just gave my time enough that she said, okay, well this, she's putting the work in where she's, she can. You're, you're obviously time. pretty passionate about it. So like with a little bit of direction, I guess she saw where that could go. I think so. I think so. I think it was that I was willing to, to do the work. And so she was willing because of that to help um, make it efe- like effective and efficient work, you know? Um, yeah. So what was it, what would you say like came out of that intensive time while you were there? Like, what was your biggest takeaway? Like, what do you think helped you develop the most as an athlete? Cause it sounds like that was pretty key stepping stone and like where you were going next um, with both your, your business and with your athletic pursuits. So. Yeah, I think I came out of that um, like a little bit more confident, um, but also, and not just in myself, but also in my ability to go and ask for help. Like I had a relationship there where I was able to then be vulnerable with someone about where I was struggling as an athlete and where I did need help. And I didn't feel like I needed to have, um, like an image of having it all together as an athlete projected all the time. And so because I didn't have to put a front on, um, you, we were able to get down to the nitty gritty of, and with Muriel, especially in terms of helping my dog, um, we were just really able to break things down um, in a way that we were able to, to do something special. It's really cool. Like when you can develop that level of trust with somebody that you're not afraid to open up because that is when you really can be helped. Yeah. Right. And it's sure that, you know, as a coach, sometimes you do need to fight a little bit to have those walls come down and yeah, you do need to earn that trust. Like it goes both ways. Like the relationship's got to go both ways, but that's really when it gets special and you can have the most impact on somebody's journey is when that trust is developed. Yeah. And so do you, are you guys still in touch? A oh, lot all now? the time. Yeah, yeah. I was texting her before I, I uh, we started this. <laughs> nice. Yeah, all the time. We talk daily. <laughs> so you guys are still bouncing ideas off, talking about different yeah. events and different clients and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So that's how I guess. So how did that morph into, so that's like your athletic side is mostly what we were focusing on there, but on the, on the business side. So how did you go, like you're, you're out doing these competitions, you've been to like worlds and then you've, you've gone away and this awesome girl has taken you under her wing and kind of shown you the ropes, but where does the business side in this come into play? Like, when are you, when did you start to help other people enjoy the sport and to get involved in it? So probably around the same, the same time, um, not to the same ex- extent that we are now, obviously, 
Um, but pretty early on, people were asking for help in terms of what they were doing. And so um, we started offering clinics and, um, and trying different things that, to sort of get people engaged and get people helped. Um, and some of those really, um, really just helped the sport take off, which was really, really cool. Um, and so the business, um, and it's a small world. And so I try to separate, <laughs> I try to keep things in its, in their appropriate columns where they need to be, but it's such a small pond that there's definitely crossover. Um, so our business put on a series of clinics and, and this is how we like to do most of our, our clinic coaching is, um, is in community because we learn really well in community. Um, where we try not to do one-off clinics with people if they don't have a, a community around them to help them grow. Um, and where we don't, we like to almost superficially create one. Um, so we did a series of clinics in uh, Truro and St. John and Moncton and Fredericton. And we met up with groups of people once a month um, for a coaching session and they had essentially training plans and homework to do, um, on their own and together on the weeks we didn't meet. And then we would meet up again in a month. Um, and so we oh, wow. did that. So you're doing a lot of traveling around then to get this off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So those weekends were insane. And, um, so I did some of it and, uh, my partner, Sarah, did some of it. Um, and we did some like this in the South Shore, which another uh, former staff member did. And we essentially facilitated time trials or races at the end of them for people so that everybody would just have those experiences built in. And like we've been talking a lot about building trust. Well, if you can walk people through um, small opportunities where we are setting them up for success, then you have the chance to earn their trust to try bigger things or different things or harder things or um, something that's just outside their comfort zone. So the idea of racing to some people is terrifying. Um, but a time trial with your club, well, you see those people all the time. They kind of know how fast you are. That's not as scary. So you do that first. And then it's maybe, well, maybe I'll do a fun run where it doesn't really matter. Nothing's on the line. So, okay, let's do that. And then it's, okay, well, now I want to try a sanctioned race. Like, now I know I can be successful. Like, my dog and I aren't going to make fools of ourselves. Like, those, you know, all of those things that we talk, like, that we say to ourselves negatively before we try something new. Um, you know, when you, when you have these opportunities to prove to prove to yourself that you can in little intervals, then you have like those build up and they build up quick. And then all of a sudden you've got a really strong foundation to, you know, like we, I took a group to the States to race. Um, and, and that was a, you know, outside of their comfort zone. Um, but it was a step before going to Quebec to race at nationals for them. Um, and they probably, wouldn't have been as successful at nationals if we hadn't done that race in Maine. So a lot of it is just providing, it's a lot of it is crazy. It's a lot of driving. It's a lot of extra. Um, but people become committed 
when they see that you're committed to facilitating that for them. And when you can provide opportunities for people to be successful, they have fun. Like, and that's what it's all about, right? That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it's all about. Like, like this is our leisure time. Like we're all adults, right? Like, like if it's not fun, there's no point. Um, and so if you can set up all of these opportunities where you know people are going to come across the finish line feeling really good about what they've just done, um, they're going to stick with it and they're going to keep having fun and then they're going to get better. Um, and that way they don't show up at the world championships not having any stepping stones to to get there and get thrown right into the the deep end yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly that don't do it my way get involved with a local club that's sanctioned uh in the national sports system do that you know they have checks and balances they have good training they have people that have been around that will help you do it that way <laughs> yeah yeah um so what's been your most, I guess, what, or what do you enjoy the most about coaching other athletes instead of getting out and doing the, the competition yourself? I think what I, I mean, part of it is that I love having competition with me. Um, part of it is fine is like community, right? So um in coaching others, you help them find out just how talented they are as athletes. Um, and when they start to scratch the surface of that, all of a sudden, you know, someone who was r- running, you know, five minute kilometers is now running sub four minute kilometers. And all of a sudden, then they're training with me and not behind me. Um, and so part of the coaching is like, has been totally selfish because it's been, um, helping to develop community around me, which is kind of a weird thing to admit on a podcast, but it's, it it is both. Like it's not one or the other, it's community developing. And you see in coaching people finding their, like where they fit in, in a way that you don't, as an athlete, because you're focused on yourself um, and your own race and your own development. And so I think I love seeing when people figure out where they fit in and finding out who their people are in the sport and who their dogs are in the sport um, and matching those two up. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It's really cool. Do you get many people that come to you like more, maybe don't consider themselves athletes in the beginning but they think that this sounds kind of cool and a good way to exercise their their dog they're a little unsure and then like i'm imagining you see some pretty cool transformations in people as well when they start to clue in that i can do this kind of this running thing and then they're like maybe i am an athlete yes <laughs> so so the person that comes to mind right away and we just shared lisa's story on our on the dog run and instagram page um lisa joined uh one of those very first clinics that we did where we were traveling around um 
she was sort of like just turned 40 and feeling like super empowered and wanted to just kind of throw caution to the wind and try something. And she was not a runner at all. Um, and we start all of our coaching uh, on two feet, regardless of what discipline you want to do, because uh, we want to take away a degree of difficulty for everybody and just start as safely as possible. Um, and yeah, so I, I imagine things get significantly more complicated once you throw in a, a bike or a sled. Or, yeah. And and so when you're working with people that are brand new or are brand new to you, the safest way to start is on two feet. And when you know someone or know them as an athlete, or then then maybe you can start a dog in a different way or start a team in a different way. Um, but when two strangers are are meeting with two dogs that are strangers, let's again, let's mitigate all the risk we can and make this as successful as possible for everybody. So let's remove all of the degrees of difficulty because we can add them back in really, really quickly if your dog and you are ready for it. Um, but let's make sure that we're doing one step at a time uh, and doing them all well first. But Lisa came on really early on and uh, she wasn't, she wasn't a runner at all. And then turns out she's actually pretty good at it. And I want to say, Oh, maybe that might have been 2016, 2017. I'm not sure now. 2016, it has to be. And three years later, she was, she came second place at nationals in the over wow. 20 class. Yeah. So you just, you know, she saw pretty early on that she and her dog had potential. And then it was, okay, now I'm going to train my dog separately and myself separately so that I can get better from my dog. And and you just, you start to see people evolve and they're, it's not just, I'm going to do this to exercise my dog. Um, all of a sudden it's, I'm going to do all of these additional things so that I am better for my dog. I personally find it's really cool when you see that sort of switch flick in somebody where the athlete mindset starts to take over. And maybe initially they they came to like running or something for like health reasons, or they didn't really think that it was so much about being athletic. Like they just like it's good for them. Yeah. But then eventually, like somewhere's down the road, a couple of months, they start trying to think, well, what can I do outside of running to be better? Yeah. And like once it starts to become like, how can you get better? What are the things that you can do to improve? Then it and it becomes a lot less stress, like we said, on the on the outcome. And it's again focusing on what are the steps that you can take to get better. And I find that's always a really special moment for me to witness as mm-hmm. a coach. And some people get there faster than others, but everybody does eventually get there. And that's one that I always really, really enjoy being a part of. And sometimes it's just like it's planting a seed. Yeah. Um, you know, well, you can't force anybody to switch their way of thinking. No, on that. no, but you have to. One of the things that I'm learning is that you've got to present people with the opportunities because they don't always believe it unless you sh- let them know that you believe it for them. So, you know, I had a conversation with someone the other day um, about the next nationals and thinking like, you know, 
you should start thinking about that. Like you should start training like this, um, this coming fall, assuming we have a, a race season. Um, that and will they're be probably like, well, I'm not good enough to do that. <laughs> exactly. Like I hadn't thought about that. I'm like, well, now's the time to think about it because there's no reason that you couldn't be one of the three people from Nova Scotia that get to go. There's no reason that it couldn't be you. Um, and so think having people think like that, like you have to, you have to start planting those seeds in people. Um, and once they start like buying into that, like the, the drive that comes with that, like I, I find it really improves like all aspects of their life. Cause it just, it forces them to get their stuff together. Right. Yeah. Not so much forces, but it makes them want to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Your priorities shift a little bit. Yeah. And like, I always say when I'm talking to people, like everybody is busy, like, and I coach like quote unquote, like some of the like most crazy busy people that you can think of. Like some people that have like three and four kids or doctors that work crazy hours yeah. and things, but it just becomes a matter of what's important to you. And then once you buy in that, yeah, you, you can do this and it is yeah. important to you. And like you say, shifting those priorities to be in alignment with your values and you start living a life that makes you happier. And, and the thing that I love about um, working closely with local clubs and myself, one of the reasons why I train with local clubs is because you get a mixture of everybody. Like you get some people who are like, I'm super committed to this and I want to be the best. But you also get people who are like, I'm just out for a lark because this is fun. And, and that's okay I don't, too. And that's okay. And, and I think it's really important that um, we have space for all of that. And I, um, one of the things that I, um, one of my dogs is not really a race dog. <laughs> and when people get really, really into the sport, I, I always want to say to them, like, maintain a connection to this in a way that is not extremely competitive all the time because you don't want to lose the joy and you don't want to lose the fun. And so you need to find the people who are going to make you the best you can possibly be, but make sure you're also involving yourself in community with people who are not trying to be the best at this, that are just trying to have a good time, that just want to have fun, that are just doing it recreationally or leisurely um, because they are going to keep you grounded and reminding you that it's okay to miss a training sometimes. Like it's all right to skip. It's all right to just go, you know what? today I'm going to go have ice cream with some girlfriends or I'm going to go out for a drink with some friends after work. And I'm not going to um, let it completely take over my life. I'm going to have some balance here. And, and I think like, so for me, Pippi is the dog that helps me have that balance because she's not fast, you know, <laughs> she's just not, she's her favorite sport with me is ski drawing where I am probably that's my weakest sport. And that's where she and I just have this exceptional connection and do so well. And, but so well for us is 
not so well compared to the most of the world, you know, like you guys are having fun. So we're having fun. And that's, you just like, you you don't want to lose that in it all. Like you don't want to, there is nothing, there is no podium, uh, available that is worth sacrificing, uh, the fun and the joy, um, of just being on the trail with your dog. Like it's not worth it. Well, I think like you said, I think it is really important that you are involved. Like even doesn't matter how good or how quote unquote, not good you are, but just to surround yourself, like I said, with people of all levels. Cause I think by just by osmosis, whatever you're not, that is going to get absorbed into you. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe if you are more, competitive then you do need to check that ego from time to time but maybe some of your discipline and habits are going to rub off on somebody or maybe somebody's going to be at one of these group runs and get a little spark lit because they see you and they can relate to you and you don't necessarily know what impact you're going to have on somebody just by being there and having a conversation yeah so I think the community aspect of that is really important no matter what level you're at no, it's, it's a hundred percent important. Like none of us ex- exist in a vacuum. And, um, and so getting involved in a club, it, um, we can do more together than we can do alone. Like you can't, you can't train your dog for all race situations on your own. You need, you need club members and you need to do that in a way that's safe. And you need to do that in a way where you can set your dog up for success and people um, are willing to uh, adapt how they're training to give you an opportunity for success. And then vice versa, you're going to adapt what you're doing to make sure that they have a chance to facilitate success. So we all, we all need each other. <laughs> like we can't do it alone. And it's pretending that you can is just, it's, it's, it's kind of foolish. Like it's arrogant. It's never going to work. I completely agree. And I, but I can also sympathize with some people too, because I've, I've talked about this before. I'm by default a bit of an introvert. And like my first going to any group run that I'm not familiar with the group is kind of terrifying. Terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. I remember I took the first year I took ski lessons. It was a really, it was a really good thing for me to do um, as someone who helps adults develop as athletes because I sat in my car and I was like, I had not felt nerves like that. I don't know if I had ever felt nerves like that before. It was the first time as an adult that I was trying something new. Like when you're a kid, you learn new sports and new skills all the time. Like we're just always learning new things. You're in new activities. You're doing new stuff. Like everything is new. Like that muscle of how to try is really, really well worked when you're a child. And then as an adult, we like, we don't develop that at all. And, and then you're really hesitant to yes, do terrifying. anything that is slightly uncomfortable. It's terrifying. And so I just, I remember sitting there just like, I don't want to do this. Like, what if I'm the worst? And then I went to the class and I was the worst. And then it was like, well, I guess we figured that out. Let's carry on, you know. And it wasn't so bad, and maybe and even a little so bit bad. of fun. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, 
<laughs> like it's okay. <laughs> we are all doing just fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard and it's hard. Um, and I'm someone who's just, I, I am good at starting new projects. Like I'm, I'm really good. I can see the vision. I can see how it all fits together. Um, and so it's easier for me at that, at that stage. And, but I work with a lot of people, um, who want to have a club in their area who don't and helping them get those clubs started, uh, is really challenging and really scary. Like it's a really vulnerable thing that you're doing when you put yourself out there and say, oh, for sure, you want to come for a run with me or you want to go bike our dogs together? Like, like what if nobody comes? What right? if no one comes? What if no one comes? And I have been to many, many group runs of one. <laughs> like I have done that for, a, like I've done that a lot. Years of years of group runs of, yeah, I, of I've one or two people. Like kind of, going back to an earlier part of the the conversation because I've done sort of similar thing to you is back in the early days of of coaching people I started a group running at 5 30 in the morning on the commons just to have friends to run with I was like there's got to be other runners that are up and running and want to go run hard workouts before work like I can't be the only one and you know some mornings we'd have like eight ten people and other mornings when it was like minus 20 and the snow was flying sideways there would be one person but you know yeah. what I never was there on my own yeah <laughs> there was always at least one person which I yeah. thought was pretty amazing yeah that's really cool that's really really cool I think this is probably a good aside to get into like, this whole regional um, federation thing that you're the, the president of. It's like, so what is that? And then how do you help people set up these clubs in other areas that they want to get these clubs started? Yeah. So um, I am the president of the national federation. So I'm the president of the Canadian association of harness dog sports um, which is the, the governing body uh, for, for Canada. Um, and so we have regional divisions in the Maritimes and in Quebec and out West at the moment, um, and one in development in Ontario. Um, and those regional divisions uh, are made up of local clubs and they, um, they work together to put um, race series on and um, the regional level sort of um, you know helps with the selection of provincial teams that go to nationals and that sort of thing so at the national level we're doing things like putting on eastern and western championships and and national championships and we're liaising with um, other national federations and the the international governing body um, for sport development on that level um, but really, uh, I think, uh, our mandate is to develop local opportunities. So, um, when you think about, I guess, countries that are really good 
at a specific sport. Like you think of Australia and swimming, you think of, um, I mean, Canada and hockey obviously comes to mind. And what they have is opportunities for people to participate in the sport in every single community. So no team gets missed, no team with potential gets missed, no team that wants to excel um, goes without um, the opportunity to get there. And in Canada, we don't have that in sled dog sports. And so I think um, without, um, without that, I, I don't think that we are all racing to our fullest potential. Um, we have some incredible teams right across the country that have um, just done amazing things at the world stage. And I wonder to myself, could they have been better? Could they have been faster if our, if our pool of teams and athletes um, was stronger and deeper here? Um, so what I want to see, um, and this is where regional divisions come in, is I want to see every community in Canada um, have a local club where people can participate. Because if they have an opportunity um, at the local level, uh, those who really want to get into the sport then have a week to do so. Um, and the bigger the pool, uh, the stronger the competition. Um, like I said, as races here started to develop and as um, friends that I was helping and training as they got better dogs started to beat me, um, it wasn't because I wasn't getting better. I was getting better. The competition around me was getting better and there were more people around us getting better. Um, I don't think people realized um, until nationals just how good the teams from Atlantic Canada are. Um, but we have worked really hard here and um, for Sarah to go and win, um, really put a mark on the national scene to say, Hey, this local development is going to foster, um, just stronger competition. And that's going to make us better at the world stage. Amazing. And I think the other thing that the regional clubs are good for too, like at the opposite end of the spectrum, which I think is also really important. Like you said, it, it, it catches more people. It rolls out the welcome mat and people that wouldn't necessarily get out and say, I need to get in shape. I need to get moving. I'm going to go do running. Like sometimes people just won't do that, yeah. but maybe they think it might be a little more fun if they have their dog and they have this, uh, this friend that's always going to be wanting to go out the door with them and they see this as a great way to bond with their with their pet and just having that accessible to them it might just help getting more people in these communities being active which is really important as well yeah like said, not, not everybody trainer. needs to be going on to the world stage because that is no. amazing too but I think that's another aspect of the regional development which I think is pretty amazing as well and I'm just being able to give people an opportunity 
to participate to the fullest extent that they are interested in. Yeah. That just um, learning how to safely run with their dog and that being it, they don't want to compete. They don't want to do anything. They just want to know what's the safest way I can run with my dog possible. Um, Well, we can help with that. We can help make this a safe and enjoyable experience for both of you. So you're not running when it's too hot or um, your dog's not pulling on surfaces that are going to harm its body. And you are using equipment that is not going to hurt your back (laughs) and is designed so that you're not going to dislocate your shoulder if something goes haywire. Um, So we can do, we can do all those things that, that if what you want to get out of it is to just go have some fun with your dog on the regular um, by yourself or with a crew, you can do that. Um, but I think when you invest on that level, then some of those other things take care of themselves. Um, I don't, I don't worry about today's athletes in the sport in Canada who are at the top of their game because they got there without a system underneath them and they know how to do that on their own. What I want to do is create everything from the bottom up and pull people along that don't know how to do that on their own Um, because those people exist too and they don't lack potential. They just have had different opportunities or have different personalities or by chance didn't meet the right person. Um, and I got lucky because I, by yeah, they, chance, they didn't have met somebody the right person. fly them out to, to mentor them. to, to Exactly. Show them by chance, I met the right person and not everybody is going to have that privilege. Um, and so I think my responsibility with um, the privilege that I have been given in this sport is to, facilitate as much opportunity as possible for as many people to to just get outside and have some fun with their dogs well i know like from coaching runners and i know from also going down the rabbit hole of running with your dog on google like there's just there's a lot of information and there's a lot of misinformation out there in both of those sports yeah. And yes. <laughs> it is one really rewarding for me as a coach if I can help cut somebody's like learning curve down. Like yes. I know that it it doesn't need to take somebody three or four marathons to run a fun marathon and to enjoy it and nail it and run to their potential like it doesn't have to be that way no we can have fun on our first one you can have fun (laughs) on your first one and we should and you should but (laughs) and some people can get there on their own but a lot of people can't right and that's okay and just because it is like just because you run on your own or just because you can run on your own with your dog doesn't mean that uh, you need to do it on your own. Like you can't ask for help. And like you said, when you opened up and realized that you could ask for help with things, that's when things really started clicking for you. Yeah. And I think this is a really good point where I can be a little selfish on my end and maybe (laughs) ask some questions. Some of them I think I know the answers for, but I think these just might be some common questions that people that run with dogs or people that might want to run with dogs might be thinking. And there's 
I've Googled some of this stuff and there is some definite weird answers out there for it. (laughs) Okay. Okay, Now I'm really curious about what you're about to ask. Some of it you might might not uh, know. Some of it might be more like trying to run ultras with your dogs, which is a little different than than what you're doing, but that's all right. I'm going to start simple. And just from my experience, just going to put this out there just because this is what we did when we started running with with our Whippet. I know people are all different and sometimes there's some controversy around that sort of stuff. But so we worked with our vet and with the breeder when we got our, our puppy. And she was green lighted to get out and be active on trails with us. I think we started at about seven months just for what we were doing. And she was bred to be a sport dog. And for what we were doing, it was very low intensity. And she wasn't going for super long distances at that point in time. And that's how we felt comfortable getting her out and getting her entered. in that and you're always kind of worried when you're starting this stuff because like you love your puppy you want them to be healthy but you also want to start enjoying and getting them used to participating in these sorts of things so i know you guys have some guidelines of when you typically start working with a younger dog so how old should in with your guidelines if somebody's looking to start running with their dog i guess maybe always checking in with your vet, but what, what do you guys recommend? Yeah, so definitely. Um, and, and all bodies are different uh, and especially across dog breeds, all bodies are different. Um, so that's a, a good place to start. Um, and you want to build mileage uh, kind of slowly and carefully. And I think if you really want to do this uh, in a focused way, uh, less is always more. Um, you want to leave your dog wanting more at the end and excited to go back out for the next run. So we start working with puppies at eight months. Um, and because of what we're doing in the high intensity of pulling, um, is different than just a trail run. Um, where the well, just just on that, in. like our our vet did say that if we were doing more of like an agility sport or doing something more where they would be be pulling more explosive, then they wouldn't have green green lighted it yes. at that point. Yes. Right. Yeah. So from eight to ten months, um, we uh, help uh, people and their dogs build up to two k um, together, um, and then. Uh, from 10 months to a year, we sort of build in the next three kilometers and usually around a year building mileage up to 5k is, is good to go. And then, um, above that usually recommend 18 months. Um, and that's, that's usually, that is okay for most dogs. You'll see, um, this this is training them to pull you, right? Yeah. 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 And you'll see dogs in different kennels starting at slightly different ages. Um, But there's a lot of, it's not just the physical development. You also have to be aware of um, sort of like the mental development and the the whole dog developing at that age and stage. Um, And that's really, those are really important windows uh, in terms of your dog experiencing the world. Um, 
so you want to make sure that you are setting them up for success, not just like their physical body, but also um, like their head for sports and making sure that um, you're setting them up so that they they can do well over time. And so you don't want to progress too far too soon um, so that you can develop along with the entire dog and not just the little dog's body. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I know it's something we, we struggled a little bit too. Like we always say that Luna is a little bit of a product of COVID just because we got her and she couldn't be out meeting other dogs and doing other things as much as we would have liked her to. She is getting out and doing a little bit more of that now. But one thing that is for sure, like when you're running with your dog, that is a lot more of a high energy state. And if you haven't trained the the basics about how to be around other dogs, when you come across dogs and you're running, that that's, that's definitely more challenging for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you, you work with the dog owners to, to help with that, right? Yeah. 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 All right. So next question, let's say I ended up, well, we ended up with a great adventure buddy, but let's say somebody is looking for a dog and they want a dog to run with them. So what are the characteristics of a good match for somebody? I know it probably depends a lot on the, like there's a lot of variables there, right? Like home life, like what's going on at home, what kind of activities they want to be doing. And even like if they're pulling them, like what sort of weight of the person do they need to pull? But I guess as general as you can be, like what sort of things do people want to take into consideration if they're looking for an athletic partner instead of just like a house pet? Sure, sure. So. there are dogs bred specifically for, uh, for canicross and for uh, harness dog sports. Um, and in sprint racing, there's sort of two, um, two main types of dogs, uh, that have been developed from it. Everyone sort of thinks about Huskies and there are, there are Huskies in sprint racing. Um, but they are, um, generally better, uh, adapted for, for longer, um, like sort of middle distance and long distance racing. Um, the fastest teams in sprint racing are Graysters and Eurohounds. And, um, it depends on the disciplines you want to do. It depends on the, um, I guess the size that you are, the size that your dog is, um, do you want to do one dog sports? Do you want to do two dog sports? Do you want to do have a dog that's going to be um, really relying on you all the time? Or do you want one that's going to be having a little bit more independent? Um, And there's going to be a bit of a balance too, right? Because I imagine that you got to be a little bit careful selecting the type of dog that you want, because maybe if you get like one of those breeds that is like the best at racing, um, maybe they require a lot of attention at home or they're very high energy at home too. No, they're not oh, high energy okay. at home. They're not. And that's a big misconception is that I'm going to get this sport dog and be it a pointer, um, like a GSP yeah. or be it a border collie or be it a, um, a poodle is another really good example of a really, um, no one really thinks about them as athletic dogs, but poodles are incredibly athletic. Um, 
people get these people shy away from these dogs thinking that if we just don't go all the time, my house is going to be destroyed and my life is going to be chaos. And, and, and I guess there is some potential for that. <laughs> like that's, you know, but that is not how it is. Um, a lot of people have race dogs that live in their houses. I have race dogs that live in my houses and my house, sorry, houses. That would be not this year um, in my house. And when they are on and when they are focused and when they are ready to run, they are explosive and they are athletic and they know what we're doing and they are there in the moment. Um, but when we're at home and it's the middle of the day and my kids are having an afternoon nap, they too are having, you know, their third three hour nap of the day. They have um, an off switch. They right? have an off switch. Yeah, which is something we first experienced with the uh, greyhounds, which are yes. sport dogs. Yes, greyhound is a great example of of that because it's like the extreme yeah. of they when they are on, they are very very on, and it is when it is off, it is completely off. <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, there is no in between. Um, so I think for, in one respect, then it's got to be a little different on maybe think something worth considering and I'm not going to just give labs a bad name or something. I'm just thinking like generic house dog that maybe okay. has more constant energy around the house. I yeah. Know, and I think, I think the difference comes down to the, and it's not necessarily the breed of the dog. I think it has to do with, the focus that the human and the dog have with like the focus time that the human gives to the dog. Okay. So yeah. Not just um, like city urban walks are really, really great. Um, a lot of stimulation. There's there, a lot right? of stimulation there. And that's, that's not a bad thing. Like there's lots of really interesting things to explore, lots of neat smells, lots of things to see. Like I, that's, that's all wonderful. And your dog should definitely have that in its life. But there is something to be said for a dog that gets focused time with its humans to work on something, be that just being progressing through different levels of obedience, be it harness dog sports, be it agility, be it fly ball or um, rally obedience. There's all sorts of different activities that you can do with your dog that just strengthen the relationship that you have. And some of it's just continually going back to obedience classes to just learn something more. It's just like, you know, we're going to go take a tricks class or we're going to go take a class on funny poses for pictures with your dog. Like whatever it is, when you give your dog that very specific time and energy, you get that back. Um, well, it, it kind of goes back to the earlier conversation too, that we were having. It's developing that trust, right? Yes. It's, it's the two way street. Yeah. And so you have a, you have a dog that has used its body and it's well and it's brain and then you have a very balanced very low-key very satisfied happy dog and that's not a dog that wreaks havoc in your life (laughs) 
No, and that's the thing. You can you can exercise entire that athletic dog out at home by playing these training games. Yeah, with with them. Yeah, too. Like you, you could have a dog that's flaked out and completely satisfied on a day that you don't go for a run. Yeah, by yeah, working on yeah. these other skills. And these dogs need rest. You, yeah. you don't want to run your dog hard every day. Um, yeah. Physiologically, their their bodies are different than ours, so they can do different things than we can. But they still need rest. They still well, need they, they need like power. a training plan almost like you need a training plan. And they do. needs yeah. to be respected. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody needs recovery. So on that regard, again, maybe let's try and, and bust a couple of myths, maybe about running okay. with your dog or help with some understanding about it. Um and then probably a bit different in the the sprint racing side of things versus people that are thinking about taking their dogs for longer hikes or getting into doing long adventures with their dogs. Um, so if you're taking your dog out for a long period of time, would you say that you should be like, if you're thinking about a human that needs to go for a long period of time, that human needs to take in fuel or they're mm-hmm. going to have a very un, uh, a very poor experience. You're going to bonk. You're going to bonk. <laughs> but dogs are different, right? Like, do you need to give your dog snacks? Like, if you're going out for eight hours in the woods? No. That's, not, yeah. Because no. um, their metabolisms are more, like, dialed in to just burning fat. They're very efficient. Like, they have I a very good be... metabolism for that, right? Yeah. So I would be taking treats with me for different reasons because I want to have them in my back pocket in case skunk or porcupine or deer or, you know. Just so you are the most interesting thing on the trail. (laughs) I I still want to be awesome um, when I'm really very much in second place in that moment. Uh, But no. um, So my dogs uh, and and everybody is different. um, What works for different kennels and different um, teams is going to be different, but my, my dogs feed once a day. Um, and, uh, and we do it at the end of the day usually. Um, and that, that just has to do with their physiology and, and how they expend energy and, yeah. and what they pull out of their food and when. And, so and if they're good. being more athletic, then they just get more food at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And occasionally like, uh, which a thing that has happened um, now that we have kids is that they will get uh, on days that we're not running, they will get a snack uh, in the middle of the day um, because that helps keep them entertained while my kids are having lunch um, and not begging for food in the same way that they like to do. But that's just a quirk of my family and not, um, and, and not just general advice. And, but I know kennels that feed twice a day and that's, that's how they operate and that's what they do. Um, and so it's a, it's a matter of figuring it out and dialing it down for your team, but. They- there, there's some dog breeds too. I know like deep chested dogs, like whippets and greyhounds and other types of breeds. Like you don't want to feed them close to a high intensity activity. Yeah. You want to wait till after. Yeah. yeah. You really so that you're not. Um, and you want to give a little bit of space. Get a, yeah, a window afterwards too. Yeah. yeah, just to make sure you're not causing harm. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. So that is a question that I've heard come up a lot. And again, again, if somebody is Googling that, like you can get all kinds of different answers and people yeah. just like but to offer opinions yeah. without like fact behind them. Yeah. But that's but, been but definitely my... no food immediately before you're going. So give give space. Um if you are gonna feed more than once a day, um give a good window before you are doing high intensity activity. Um because it feels gross to run with a full belly of water or having like, you know, a lot of it's a holiday weekend. A lot of us are having big meals. No one finished that and was like, and now I want to go run 15 K immediately. No, we all went, okay, now I'm going to go sit on the couch for a bit. And yeah. so, you know, and it's, our dogs are no different. Um, they need time. <laughs> all right. So next weird one. Um, do your four-legged training partners need electrolytes? Like people need electrolytes. Because there are some like sports drink companies out there that'll even mention it in some of their marketing. Like if you're taking your dog along, you should think about giving them some of this. So I I do give my dog um it's it's a uh, uh glycocharge is what it is, and it's essentially a Gatorade for dogs. Um, but again, dogs' bodies are different. And if you don't do it at the exact window that you need to, uh, you're just paying for very, very expensive pee. Yeah. Um, so, if so, what, not, so what's your protocol with that then? So what, what do you use that for and when do you use it? Um, so we, we use it for uh, it's the, the combination that we put together. We have a few different supplements that we do. And they get... Um, something for their joints, but they also get, um, uh, this glycocharge, which is essentially canine Gatorade. Um, I'm writing that down by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and, and that's just, uh, it, that's a really good one. And we also do uh, bone broth quite a lot for the dogs as well. Um, and they would sort of get at the end of a really big workout, um, a soupy mixture of, uh, of these, of these things. And you, you need to do it within a half an hour of your training. That's um, like people too. Like you have that window where your body's going to suck up the stuff, like your glycogen, you're going to be able yeah. to replenish those stores. And if you yeah. miss that, you're going to be lethargic for the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you want to get it in that window where the dog's body just doesn't, um, absorb it in the same way. It doesn't pull what it needs out of it. Um, so we do, so I do that. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, that's good. Cause I was kind of like, from what I had been reading, it didn't seem like they were like, at least during exercise, like it wasn't something that you needed to be worried about, but it's good. I guess at least afterwards, like if you're After, doing a lot yeah. of activity, then you should be paying attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. So if your dog is needing if you're like out for a short run um and i'm saying in my head short is you know 10k or less in this setting um if you have trained your dog up to it and they are trying to break for water in the middle of it if they're trying to drink puddles while you're going if you have done all of your other training right 
that's probably a sign they were dehydrated when they started. So you want to be thinking about all of these things, your hydration plan for your dog, much like yourself, you don't drink a glass of water right before you go for a run and go, okay, good. I'm hydrated now. No, it's the water you drank a few days ago that your body is going to pull out. And that's, what's going to help you. So your dog is, um, your dog is no different. It's not that it's not like immediate water. Boom. I'm good. Um, so if you want your dog to be well hydrated for a long adventure, you need to be thinking about that in advance and just have that as part of your, your regular routine. Yeah. And then checking in as you're going longer, like if you're stopping for water, you're, you should probably, and you haven't seen any rivers or anything for a while, then you yeah. remember that your little companion yeah. is probably a little thirsty too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you'll see often um, a thing that happens in races is you'll see dogs going and starting to like try, they'll be running and looking for water at the same time. And we call that dipping. Um, and that's often a sign that your dog hasn't been hydrated properly ahead of time. Sometimes it can be a learned behavior that now your dog just does that. <laughs> like it was rewarding the first time and now it's rewarding the rest of the times. Um, so it's not always a sign of that, but um, it's often a sign of dehydration. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for answering those couple of, of questions. I could keep asking questions for a <laughs> long time, but we're coming up on, on two hours now. So I will be uh, respectful of your time and start to uh, <laughs> okay. wrap things up here because I really could uh, nerd out on this for a while. Um, so I do like to end the show with uh, just a couple of questions to help sum things up. And the first one it might be just a little more lighthearted than, than serious, but then we'll get to a more serious one. Um, so when, when, when you're coaching teams, like yeah. dog and human, which one do you normally have the most trouble with, the dog or the human? Humans all the time. 100%, yeah. 100%, yeah. So the dogs, like you, like the, the dogs just follow the program and they fall in line and the, the people just take a little bit more work to, to get on board. <laughs> the dogs are often responding to what they are perceiving um, from their human. So if your human is a little nervous, your dog is going to be a little nervous. If your human, like, so those, that relationship is incredibly important dynamic. Um, and so if the human is feeling pressure, they're projecting that. And then the dog starts to feel like they're in a high pressured situation. And so then it doesn't go well, <laughs> but so yeah, the human all the time. Okay. Next question. Um, maybe somebody who's been curious about um, starting up running with their dog. They're not really sure how to go about doing that or they're not really sure if running with their dog is entirely for them, but they're curious about it. Like, what can you say to, to this person, like to help roll out the, the welcome mat? Um, so if you are local in, uh, in the Maritimes or Atlantic Canada, I would say go check out um, the Maritime Association of Harness Dog Sports. And uh, they have a network of local clubs um, and where a local club doesn't exist, uh, the board and volunteers um, will will help you get started and will help you find your people. Um, I guess your people and your dogs. 
uh, in your community that you, so you can have people to do it with. Um, and, and someone will just be there with you. Someone will be there for you. Yeah. Awesome. And like you said, like there's been a lot of times throughout this conversation where the topic of community has has come up. And even if you are a little hesitant to you know, reaching out to a group and having that group setting, uh, like we've said a lot during this this conversation, is that can really help springboard your your progress and help you. Um, just mm-hmm. realize your your potential, whatever that is, and wherever you want to take that. But it can help you get there. Yeah. Not necessarily that you need to go on to world championships, but even like if you just want to feel comfortable taking your dog for a run in the park, yeah. that group setting can help you get there and have the confidence. Right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Awesome. So if people are digging on what you have to say. And they're thinking this dog running thing is sounding great, but they want to get some help with it. Where can people find you? So uh, they can go to dogrunning.com and that will take us to, or take you to, um, to, to my website that the coaching that myself and my partners offer um, primarily Canadians, but right. But we are, we're working with people from all over. Um, so that will take you there. And uh Everybody who we work with, we encourage them to get involved in a local club if they have one in their area. Uh, so we will help connect you to a club that's involved with the Canadian um, Federation because those clubs are they are set up um, to help people succeed, but they're also set up to make sure that pu- that the clubs are upholding just the highest standards of animal welfare and the best practices in terms of taking care of our dogs and the athletes that they are. Um, so if the club in your area is not sanctioned uh, by there, I would ask why. <laughs> That's a question I would ask. Um, and go and go look for a club that is go look for a club that is because you know you you want the best for your dog and you want to make sure that they are being cared for as athletes as well as yourself 100 percent, definitely um last more light-hearted but kind of semi-serious question um i'm just going there because these dogs like sled races go for a really long time. Like these dogs do like multi-day hundreds of mile races. Like the Iditarod is pretty crazy. So do you think like the sport of ultra trail can across could become a thing in the Maritimes? In the Maritimes? I, I mean, it could, I don't know. Like, if you build it they will come rick this is the thing that i this is what we are this is what we're discovering right so Um, how how long like where do the races like tap out now that your your clubs do like as far in the running world like what distance are you guys because it's because it's sprint distances most of the races are topping at around six or seven k okay um that said um when you go to, so part of that has to do with just like capacity of the organizers and what they're putting on um, and trying to meet the desires of as many people as possible. So um, it's, it's not an easy task to put on an ultra or, no, or, it's, or a it's marathon not. or anything I'm, like I'm that. Just, I'm just dreaming. It's like, no, no. In, so in my world, like, uh, like 
uh, stepping that up and including like a 25k and a 50k could be kind of fun but that like a 50k trail race is still kind of fringe like you don't get that many people that show up to do a 50k but so imagine you, to... you would get even less that would yes. show up and want to do that with their dog but I could see that being pretty fun <laughs> so when you go to bigger population centers you see that so um, one of the races that I'm have on my radar for um, the next, whenever, whenever it is safe to do so again and to, to travel and, uh, and race in other places is a canny trail race in Quebec. And, and I don't know if we'll do the 8k or we'll do the 16, but that's sort of on the radar for, for me and Eddie, but they also offer that one offers a half marathon and oh, there cool. are there are multi-day candy trail races that happen in, in Europe, for example. So where you have um, just a, a more, more people, there are more options, but doesn't mean it can't happen here. <laughs> sure. it Someone's yeah. got to do it first, Rick. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we just need to start prodding some of our local trail race go. directors. <laughs> have a dog friendly start time. Let's yeah. <laughs> You say like maybe that, that's how like you got started, right? That's just it's exactly of... how I got started. So, you know, so maybe we should talk. Right? <laughs> maybe we should at least get out for a run at some point because that could yeah. be fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting with me. I really enjoyed this conversation. So, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you later. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much. I don't know about you guys, but I truly love everything that Sarah is about. For me, this conversation was a really big reminder that if you listen, the universe will speak to you and guide you on your path. You just need to be brave enough to see the, seize the opportunities when they come. If you enjoyed the show and you want to show your support, the best thing that you can do is subscribe and leave a review. If you've already done that, then it would mean so much to me if you share this episode with your friends on social media. I love seeing posts or getting tagged in people's stories. It's really awesome. I really need your help to grow the show in order to make this sustainable so I can keep bringing you conversations with real runners in our community who are out there doing amazing things. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time.